Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to Puto Politics, the political podcast to the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by... Kerry Clack, columnist, editorial board member. Brian Chasnoff, investigative reporter. Greg Jefferson, Metro editor. Nancy Prayer Johnson, editorial board associate editor. We're going to start off by talking a little bit about um, the November election and uh, some some concerns that have uh, arisen uh, about about the election and how it's going to be conducted in Bear County. Uh, there was a meeting last week of the Bear County Election Board, uh, and uh, our Express News reporter Scott Huddleston uh, covered that. And uh, Jackie Callen and the Bear County Elections Administrator uh, talked to the board about the fact that you've got schools uh, in this community that are really concerned about being election sites after um, the May 24th school shooting at uh, Uvalde. And I think there have been some concerns over the years. I know that just um, I've often thought in recent years about how how tense our, our politics have become. And uh, I've, I've felt a little discomfort about, about the idea of, uh, of our schools being sites for uh, for elections, just knowing, um, knowing what the climate is like. Um, and uh, schools in, in Bear County make up more than two thirds of election day um, polling sites. So there's, there's some discussion. Uh, Jackie Holland mentioned the fact that, uh, you know, entities that, that have public buildings under the Texas election code cannot, uh, cannot deny the use of their, those buildings for elections, but the, the county has never really enforced them. And so they're trying to work something out. One thing she mentioned is the, the possible, uh, she's trying to get state officials to look into whether they could make that a, a, uh, like a teacher work day where they wouldn't have school that day. Um, uh, Carrie, kind of want to start with you and kind of get your thoughts about this. It's, I mean, we're 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 dealing with understandable concerns about school safety, but we're also dealing with voter access, and that's something that we, we I think we all worry about. Um, you know, I I never really thought too much or feared too much about that connection between um, the voting at schools and and shooting. In fact, until reading that story and hearing you talk, I never thought too much about it. Uh, and even if if Uvalde had happened, I could see that more of as a concern now, just because of the way school board meetings have become so politicized uh, on one side when it comes to issues like quote unquote critical race theory and everything else. And so it's it's fascinating that all the things that that trouble and worry us now are intersecting with this school violence, mass shooting, and access to the vote. And uh, I do think Callahan has a great idea about having November 8th just be a, a teacher work day and close the schools and let everybody vote. Yeah. What do you think, Nancy? Yeah. I mean, I I live in Shirt Cibolo School District, and this just makes me think of 
it just makes me think of a scene of going back to 2020 that I saw. And it wasn't at the school. It was there at the Elections Administration building. But when I drove up, it looked like a Trump train. You know, it was it was dramatic. It was, um, I mean, intense, right? So you have people in trucks with huge Trump flags and they're hooting and hollering. And I mean, it was, it was like something I've never seen before, right? So I think about this and I think about that kind of scene at a school, right? Or I think um, the access, you know, the campaigners that are out there um, and that, you know, I, I used to work at the school, right? So I was a teacher. Um, it's not, I don't think it's safe at all for students. And schools have way too much to um, to try to balance uh, with just the in and out, the ins and outs of a school day with safety. I mean, there's so much pressure on schools right now. So to have to to have to also open the doors for voting, um, it's a different day, right? It's a different time, and um, the risks are higher. Yeah, and to me, that's a that's the saddest thing of all. I mean, for decades and decades and decades, we had uh, elections at public schools, and it was not really a question, right? I mean, at least not none that I can recall. Nobody worried about you know any kind of any act of violence stemming from the election. We're in it as Nancy says. We're in a completely new age. Uh, on the one hand, we have extreme political polarization. You mentioned, you know, the 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 Trump train. I mean, that's, it's a very, you know, very macho kind of borderline militaristic thing going through, you know, going past schools. That's, that's scary. It's, it's, it's a scary thing to see for a little kid. And then on the other hand, you've got kind of the the, the rise of the mass shooter. So, I mean, to me, it's, you know, it's, it says really bad things about us as a society that schools are now Understandably, I mean, you can totally understand why they're worried, but they're worried. Uh, I I do hope that um, the legislature acts and and allows election day to be a work day, so you don't have kids around. That makes a lot of sense to me. I think there was also some discussion at the election board meeting last week of you know trying to figure out if if there's an isolated part of campus where you could have you know you could place the voting machines. To me, it's just like it, it's it's awful that we've really come to this. Yeah, I mean, I would just add that, you know, it's undeniable now that politics in the modern era is inextricably linked with violence, I mean, after January 6th. So, I mean, again, it's just completely understandable that, um, that unfortunately, it would make schools uncomfortable to, to have to attract that kind of attention. Um, I, uh, I don't know, wouldn't the work holiday kind of uh, be problematic for early voting because you can't you can't make all those days holidays, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm in, yeah, they were focusing on, on election day. And I think that that's, I, I had some questions too about what's, you know, how early voting is going to be affected by this. You right. Know, absolutely. Yeah, certainly a, an understandable problem that needs to be worked out. Yeah. And uh, County Commissioner Justin Rodriguez, who I think did more than anybody else locally to try to um, protect voting access uh, at the height of the pandemic in the fall of 2020. And he was really, he really pushed hard to make sure that, uh, that mail voting was, was available to everyone and to make sure that everybody knew about the option of mail voting. And he has promised that he's going to, he's going to work with uh, County Judge Nelson Wolf to, to do everything he can to make sure that we don't have a reduction in, uh, in uh, voting access and uh, election sites. So I, I, I mean, 
it's we're really pretty close if you look at i mean we're we're a little more than 3 months away from the election so it's it's a, i i think it's a it's a big concern but hopefully we're going things are going to get sorted out i wanted to talk a little bit about um last week's vote in congress uh, in, the, in the US house uh on a bill called the Re- respect for marriage act and this w- is something that w- would uh the intention is to repeal the 1996 defensive marriage act which uh, denied federal protection for uh, same-sex marriage. Uh, it, it's also uh, was being done to codify same-sex marriage in light of the recent Supreme Court's decision repealing uh, abortion rights and a concurring opinion from Clarence Thomas saying that we ought to revisit same-sex marriage and and uh, you know, a couple of other previous Supreme Court decisions. Um, it passed by a vote of 267 to 157. 47 Republicans voted for it. No Texas Republicans voted for it, with the exception of Tony Gonzalez, uh, who's from San Antonio. Um, I think one of the things that you saw from Republicans, one of the arguments was, well, this is just election year theater, and, and there's really they're just trying to uh, deflect people away from thinking about inflation and the border and so on. But in light of what Clarence Thomas said, you heard Ted Cruz recently saying that he thought the 2015 Supreme Court decision um, legalizing same-sex marriage was a mistake. There is, I think, some appetite within the Republican Party to revisit that case and to and to consider overturning um, legalized same-sex marriage. So, what do we make of the the actions of the, of the Texas? Republican caucus, which, with the exception of one person, came out against this. Well, first, kudos to Congressman Gonzalez mm-hmm. uh, it, for, you know, I've been critical of him in the past, but this showed uh, considerable courage to, to be the only one in Texas. I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just struck that the fact that things like same-sex marriage and, and contraception and, uh, and if you, and if you extend just Justice Thomas's logic into racial marriage, also on the table. That's not the one you, you didn't bring it up, about. but no, but, but the same the same legal principles the are involved. Same yeah. principles. So if you're going to go after if you're going to go after yeah. same sex marriage, then you have to go after. If you're going to go after contraception, then you have to go after interracial marriage, and then to 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 use to use it as an excuse of being a distraction of why you voted against it is to me is kind of odd. I, hopefully we're past past the point of uh, thinking about you know developments like this as a distraction. Like after I think Trump, among many other things, taught us to take things at face value. When a politician says, "Hey, I'm going to try to stop Muslims from coming into the country," <laughs> I'm going to just shut down immigration from Muslim countries. It will happen. <laughs> you know, if they have power. Uh, to do it, it will happen. And there, to me, there's no reason to think that, you know, if uh, Republicans win control of Congress and then won, win, you know, win the presidency in 2024, that they won't press their advantage and move against same-sex marriage and contraception. I, I think it's, to my thinking, it's inevitable. It follows from the logic of of Dobbs, the, the reversal of Roe versus Wade. And Carrie, you're right. If you're going to be consistent, it, that's going to happen. <laughs> those, you know, those will be knocked down one after the other. You know, and it'll probably start with same-sex marriage and move on to contraception. 
No, I mean, it, it feels like uh, anything goes these days. It's more of a zero-sum game in politics. And, you know, they, they've shown what their respect, how much they respect precedent at this point. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I think that there, there does need to be an effort to, uh, to enshrine these protections. Yeah, I think it comes down to Christian nationalism, right? Um, it's like they want um, Republicans who are in power, GOP, you know, they they want everyone to live a certain way. And if you go out of those lines, then it's just not acceptable and they're doing all they can to make sure that that doesn't happen. So, yeah, definitely believe them, um, you know, and, and people who um, – should keep this right to same-sex marriage. They, we should treat them with dignity and humanity. I mean, there's no valid reason why this shouldn't be codified, right? Why they shouldn't keep those rights. Um, all it comes down to is this Christian nationalism rhetoric. And I feel, you know, right after abortion, the abortion uh, decision came down, um, there was someone I saw on social media, and he is in a same-sex marriage, and um, he, he's Catholic. And, and I have a lot of respect for this person, but he said, you know, he was celebrating the abortion decision. And right away, my first thought was, wait, wait a minute, right? Um, because your, your rights to your marriage, right? And the person that you love and that you share a life with and everything that goes along with marriage, right? Um, that you get, it's, it's not just, you know, going down to the church and getting married. It, it's a legal document and it has all of these attached rights that you get to enjoy because of it. And so, um, you know, so wait a minute, right? Because all of your rights are on the line. And I feel like um, not enough people are paying attention. You know, I mean, we write about it, we read about it. Um, but are is a normal voter, someone who is in a same sex marriage, do they realize what could happen? Right. And and they definitely should. They should pay attention and um, and they should rally up the voters because this is something that can change a whole lot of lives. You think about children in those families. You think about babies and children who have been adopted and um, children who have just been born to, to same sex marriage couples. What's going to happen to them and their rights? I think that um, getting to the point that, that, that you all made, I mean, uh, the idea that, well, this is. This is sort of settled law and the Supreme Court would not uh, want to reverse something that's now that it, it would cause so much disruption to our society. Um, they didn't that didn't factor into their their recent decision on abortion. So I, I think we have to we have to keep that in mind. A couple of points I want to make on this this um, this bill and how it was it was handled. You have Chip Roy, a Republican congressman uh, from the Austin area, but whose district also includes uh, part of San Antonio. Uh, he voted against it, and he was, as I said, he was just one of many Republicans in, uh, who, who voted against it. But um, one of the things that I that as as I've found uh, really irritating about about Chip Roy during his time in Congress is this: there's a certain duplicity in the way he handles things. Uh, I, when we look at the the COVID vaccine, for example, um, he has said there's a speech he gave. I think. Uh, I think this was in, in either late 2020, early 2021, where he talked about the fact I'm not against um, I'm not against vaccines. My, my father had polio. He I, I, I'm not against vaccines at all. I respect vaccines, but I'm about personal freedom. People should have the right to decide. And then you start to follow his social media account and you realize that pretty much every quack theory that's against the, va the COVID vaccine he will share it every, he'll call it a study. And it's really just, if you really look at it, it's just some, 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 
some crazy people out there who who have some ideas about this. And so any anything that he can point to to say this vaccine is either ineffective or dangerous, he will share it and propagate that theory. But then he'll always say, well, I'm not against vaccines. It's about personal freedom. That's that's the thing. People should have a right to decide. But he calls it a jab and then he says it's, it's really bad for you. With regard to same-sex marriage, he tends to put the focus on religious freedom. People should have the right to, uh, their religious freedom should be respected when it comes to an opposition to same-sex marriage. But then when you start to kind of dig a little deeper, you realize this is somebody who really has hatred for gays and lesbians. And that's why I wrote about this last week. I thought, just just come out and say it. You know, I, I will, I will, I will not, I wouldn't like to hear him say that. And I don't like that, that, uh, that mindset, but be honest about it. Because, I mean, if you look last October, uh, you know, he had a tweet, this was during the World Series, and he complained about the fact that he couldn't watch the World Series with his son without having to see, and this is his quote, two chicks kissing on TV. Um, I'm thinking like, I I follow his his uh, Twitter account. I've never seen him complain about a man and a woman kissing on TV, which we which is, is happens quite often. So, you know, what's what's bothering him about this? Obviously, this is something that he thinks that this is a uh, that, that he looks at, at as something repugnant, and um, he you know he just completely objects to same sex relationships. Uh, the U.S. Marines at the beginning of June, in recognition of Pride Month, they said. You know, they put out a statement saying that we respect the rights of everyone. And, 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 and it was basically a statement of uh, respect for people in the LGBTQ community community. And Chip Roy came back and said, Oh, that's really going to strike fear into the heart of our enemies. You know, it was this kind of sarcastic thing. And so he, he does that kind of stuff a lot. And if you follow him and you really listen to what he says, you realize where he's coming from on this. And so I'm just thinking like, stop hiding behind. We just, re- I just respect individual rights and religious freedom. And then so you hate gays and lesbians. Be honest about it. And and you know and when it comes to vaccines, you th- you you think this vaccine is terrible. You think it's dangerous. You're 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 an anti-vaxer. Admit it and stop saying that you just resp- you know everyone should have their their individual right. You know just 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 be who you are and uh, and stop playing these games. And that's 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 one issue. The other thing that I the, the final point I want to make on this, which is more of a political point, is. I think it's fascinating that in 1996, when the Defense of Marriage Act passed, this was basically Republicans trying to box in Bill Clinton. They're thinking this is an election year. The country at that point was opposed to legalized same-sex marriage. So they're thinking, we're going to pass this bill and we're going to put Bill Clinton in a box. He's either going to, if he vetoes our bill, then we can go to all our conservative constituents and say, this guy's in favor of same-sex marriage, which would have been an unpopular position at the time. If he v- signs the bill, which he ended up doing with great reluctance, then there are going to be gays and lesbians in the Democratic base who are going to be angry at him. So we're putting him in a tough position. And Bill Clinton signed it. He had no signing ceremony because he was kind of embarrassed about it. You know, but he was, he was trying to kind of move to the middle and he was trying to win over you know, some conservatives at that time. So he, voted for, uh, he, he uh, ended up uh, signing it. But the politics pressured him into signing it. In this, in this case, Democrats, in part, you know, they, I think they're trying to protect the rights of, of, of same-sex marriage. But they're also looking, if you look at the politics of it, it there's a, there a recent Gallup poll saying 71% of the public supports 
same-sex marriage. And so Democrats, I think, wanted to box in Republicans. I mean, I think that's part of what's going on here. They're thinking if they vote against this thing, something that's supported by 71% of the, the public, something that's now been law in America for seven years and that people have gotten accustomed to, this is going to be an issue that we can use against them. And the few who vote for it, and Tony Gonzalez is one of them, they're going to be we're going to, they're going to be put in an awkward position within their own party. So, I just think it's interesting how the politics has swung really towards the Democratic side, the progressive side on this issue, and it's and it's been, it's being used by that side really for politics. Right. It's it's actually pretty savvy of of the Democrats to recognize that and and use that. Um, it's also interesting how. The more candid observations that Twitter encourages, you know, when you're just lying on the couch and you, you just spout off the first thing that comes in your head <laughs> can really uh, affect, uh, you know, public perception in ways that, it, you know, I mean, that's an obvious point, but I mean, it, it, it scrambles the script for a lot of politicians. Yeah. You know? I don't, I don't necessarily expect Chipper to grant me an interview anytime soon, but I am curious what commercial he was so uh, irate about uh, during the world series. Um, I don't know. Um, we're going to wrap things up by talking about last week's uh, primetime hearing uh, from the January 6th uh, Select House Committee. Uh, it's looking at the the insurrection in, in uh, Jan- January 6th, 2021. Um, this was, they've had several hearings. This was only the second in primetime. And I think it's going to be their last hearing for a little while. I think they're coming back in, in September. So um, there were plenty of things we learned among them that the, uh, um, Josh Hawley can can run the forty and four two when he's when he's when he's called upon to do it. Um, Kerry, what stood out to you about this hearing? <laughs> Josh Hawley stood out. There. I mean, Josh Hawley became I, he's got to be the, the biggest uh, Twitter meme and laughing stock in Twitter history. I, I don't. I think he's he got, you know he's running away with that with that with that title. You know, it's it's. I went into these hearings thinking that they were going to be effective, I, but not the way they have. And they have blown my mind. And they have, it's just not the substance of it, but it's the the staging of it. The way they they release a little bit of, of video or audio right before the hearings. Then uh, they promise all this stuff. Then they, then they over-deliver. And then the way Liz Cheney at the end of each one just just lays out some 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 more breadcrumbs that we can't wait to follow, and now we've got to wait six weeks. But you know this what this what was devastating about Thursday night's hearings was that you know we we know that Trump did nothing for over three hours, but. <laughs> To realize that it was more than just not doing anything, it was being active and not doing anything. And you you come away, I came away, it's hard not to come away from Thursday night feeling that the president would have been fine if his vice president had been assassinated or if any other politician, if they had been assassinated, if it served his purpose to, to stay in power. And which makes all the more interesting and intriguing those those uh, deleted Secret Service messages for January fifth and January sixth, and just the, just the idea that, that 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 the Vice President of the United States came so close to being killed, where you had his Secret Service details reportedly 
you know, calling family members to say goodbye. And I and how anyone can continue to minimize what happened on January 6th and to think that that someone who incited that and continues to perpetuate that lie should be given another chance at power is is astounding and is and is is frightening and is to me one of the most despairing things about what's happening in the United States today. Yeah, I think I think it's nihilism in a way. I mean, you know, just <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. And for me, one of the one of the most memorable parts of Thursday's hearing were the outtakes of Trump. Um, this was the day after January sixth, I believe. And he had a script and he was having a hard time reading it for whatever reason. I think, I think he didn't want to say certain things. And one of the things he didn't want to say was, was the elections over. Um, that just, you know, that, that says it all right there. He, even after what happened, he, he did not want to let go. It's amazing. One thing on the afterward, I saw Texas Senator John Cornyn, it was just a real quick soundbite on one of the news stations. And he said that he really didn't learn much from it. Like basically what was out there, we already know. And I don't agree with that. I mean, as we've all been discussing here, um, there are a lot of details that we didn't know that are coming out and and developing. And and these hearings are important and we should all be paying attention um, because obviously we don't want to to repeat this. And that is a threat. Right. And um, it is a threat that we, you know, our country needs to pay attention to and and make sure that this does not happen again. I mean, so much of, of the Trump era has been about just absolutely bizarre things happening that sort of we, we sort of absorb into our culture and then start to think, oh, well, that's I, I, I guess that kind of stuff can happen. And I don't think we should ever really get past the idea that it's absolutely insane that a sitting president on the day that insurrectionists were at the Capitol chanting, hang Mike Pence, he's basically telling people, yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, they're onto something there. I mean, you know, I kind of, I kind of hear, I kinda, that is absolutely insane. I mean, I mean, Richard Nixon may have not loved Spiro Agnew, but I don't think he was, uh, you know, saying, you know, let's, let's, let's hang the guy. Um, I mean, that's, uh, we're going to say something well, yeah, it just reminds me, thinking way back uh, many eons ago when Trump was first running for president, I, I don't know if y'all had the same reaction as journalists, but, you know, it was kind of, it, it was kind of, well, this will be interesting. You know, there there was some degree of, of, in me as a journalist of saying, well, hey, you know, this will be something to write about. This will be interesting. I just think it's it's gone in such a dark direction at this point that, you know, we, we need, I know it's been said, but, you know, let's let's make politics much less interesting because it's just dangerous now. And, and I just, and I just, I want to always go back and to, to October of 2016. It may have been the, it may have been the last week before the election where Trump for the first time started saying that, that uh, if he lost the election, it was rigged because at that time, I mean, I remember going home on election day telling colleagues where I worked that you know, it's going to be a short night. You know, it's going to be called. But before the election day of 2016, Trump put this in motion and just built up on it until it finally didn't go his way in 2020. I mean, he's completely incorrigible and he's not, he's never going to change and he'll do it again in a heartbeat. You know, it, it's amazing that, and I, I guess 
people either just have short memories there or they just don't care. But I mean, if you go back, I mean, in, in early 2016, he loses the Iowa caucuses to Ted Cruz and he accuses Ted Cruz of stealing that from him. He said, you know, I mean, like, I mean, this is, this, he, he's never in his mind, he's never lost an election. It's, it's all, he's been cheated every time. Um, even when he beat Hillary Clinton, he said that he really won the, the popular vote by millions, but they cheated him on that one. I mean, he predicted before the the election with Biden again, same thing that he did in 2016, that he was going to get, that they were going to cheat him. And he just does it every time. And, but people, uh, you know, it's a cult of personality. And one of the things that, because this last hearing really focused a lot on his behavior that day. Um, at the end of the day, and the, there was the, when he was, I guess, just before he went to, was going to go to sleep and he was, you know, he was kind of look, reflecting on what had happened that day. His big takeaway was he told somebody, you know, Mike Pence let me down today. I mean, he does, he's, that was, that was, he, he saw people smashing windows, into, breaking into the Capitol. He, you know, the, someone, a woman died there. There was just, you know, there were, there were fights going on between Capitol police and, and insurrectionists and chance to hang Mike Pence. But his big takeaway was Mike Pence let me down today. And as Brian pointed out the next day, Trump gives that speech because I think he was sort of pressured into giving a speech to try to cool things down. He uh, he he's saying we see the 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 raw footage now, and he's saying I you know I don't want to say the election's over. I'll say that Congress certified it, but I don't want to say the election's over. Apparently, he also crossed out a line saying there was a line saying um, these people, these insurrections, they are they don't represent me. He didn't want that. He did not want that. So it's really telling um, what. Uh, I think it's, uh, I think he's kind of just works on instincts, but he's thinking this just, I'm not comfortable with that line. I don't want these people thinking they don't represent me because he did say in that first video he did on the day of January 6th, he said, you're special people. I love you. He said, and then after saying, well, go home, don't, you shouldn't be doing this. He, then he went, he said, but I understand why you feel this way because they stole it from us and this has never happened before. And, and then he devoted a big chunk of the, the, <laughs> the statement to that. So he, he respects violence. Uh. So, um, yeah, I, I think that we've talked a little bit on the podcast about the political impact of, of these these hearings and what the committee is doing. I don't think we really fully know yet. Um, I, th I think there are a lot of Republicans who are still who are tuning them out and, and saying and wanting to stick by him. But I do think it's chipping away at his support within the party. And some of these people might say, I still think he won the election. They might still say, I think he was a good president. But they might also be saying, you know, maybe it's time that we go in a different direction because it's just, it's just. You know, the uh, Friday or maybe it was Saturday, the New York Post and the Wall Street Journal, two of his biggest supporters, you know, came out with these slashing editorials about Trump, how he's unfit to be president, da, da, da. All stuff is what we've known for, for three or four years. N nothing was revealed in those hearings that we had, didn't know. What's happening for some for some Republicans, those Republicans who, who, I mean, there are a lot of principled Republicans, no, never Trumpsters, who have, you know, been on the right side of this. But there are some, a lot of Republicans who are seeing that he is no longer politically viable, won't be politically viable by, by 2024. So they're being moved by political calculations. What's still disturbing is that they're not being moved by moral calculations about the kind of man he, he is, about the kind of leader he is or wasn't. They're looking at this and seeing that that uh, he won't, you know, it, it'll probably be better to go with a DeSantis in 2024 instead of a Trump. Yeah. And in the same way that his loyalty is, is very transactional, um, I think a lot of politicians on the Republican side who 
hitch their wagon to his, it's very transactional too. You know, they're, I mean, uh, Lindsey Graham and some of these other people, the moment that they realize that supporting Trump is not in their best interests, they're, they're bad. And he, and he basically did abandon him on January 6th, but then he turned around again, you know? So that's, I think that's what I, I'm really fascinated by the, the possibility that we're going to see some of that happening in the next few months. Maybe not, but I think it's, it's a possibility and, and, and we'll follow that. Um, hope everyone's doing well. Uh, we thank you all for listening and uh, we'll be back with you soon. Take care.